Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, episode 17. Uh, it's a pretty exciting... This is, Episode 17 is, is going to go down in the history books as one of the more exciting Undersampled Radio episodes. For two reasons. Number one, we have an awesome guest. But number two, we have a new home on the internet. And um, hey, Matt, what's that home? What's the URL? So it's uh, undersampledrade.io. I was, saying, I, I was saying, I, say <laughs> I was I'm saying just, rad, like it's totally rad. Rad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Rad.io. Under sample radio. Yeah, it was tempting to go down the whole really clever path of actually undersampling the name as well, but it just, I, I couldn't type it the same way twice. So under rad.io. And um, yeah, I think it's, it's still a little bit of a work in progress. Is that fair to say? Um, because it doesn't look quite as awesome yet as the uh, as you had it originally on your site, Graham. But um, it, that's where all the stuff's going to go. And what about? So I I wasn't completely caught up on the iTunes story. Is that happening yet? Probably by the time this goes out, it'll be happening. Is that the plan? Maybe. Uh, all I'm saying for now is that if you go to undersampledrad.io, you can listen to the episodes or download them or stream them or whatever, and that's good enough. We'll have to deal with iTunes uh, crud later on. Yeah, I feel like these th- things like that, whenever I come across them, and uh, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, because she, you know, she's been working with someone, she's in publishing, right, so she's working with someone who's producing a book, and they'd written a wiki article. Well, she hadn't written herself, but her husband had written it about her. And... Um, you know, so there were lots of problems with the article, and you know when you do like when the, it's the first time he'd ever written a Wikipedia article, and um, you know there were lots of problems with it from notability to citations and all the rest of it, but all totally fixable. And I was trying to help my wife out with it, and I've obviously done lots of wiki editing, so it's a lot of things that I take for granted. And she's looking at this, you know, <laughs> this wiki markup. And the whole sort of editing paraphernalia and doing citations properly and all this sort of thing, going, I I can't believe this is how all these things work. Like when you look under the hood of most of the internet, it's so hard. <laughs> like iTunes has been so difficult. It's like how is how are any of the awesome things happening? The kind of anyway. So enough of that. But still, it's amazing how much work some of these things take. It is, and. Um... Getting large entities like Apple to work on your little tiny podcast that no one listens to is <laughs> it's hard to get your voice heard. Okay, so two other awesome things that I want to talk about here. Number one is because we have the new home on the internet and I had to test things earlier, if you go to our YouTube account right now, which is where our um, live uh, videos are hosted, um, you'll see a video of my dog, Maverick, there, smiling, grinning at you. He's... Um, He's a cutie pie, so go check him out. Number two, um, we have had this, and this actually pertains to um, geophysics in a way, more like signal analysis. 
Um, my office is very white noisy because there's a huge AC system, something like that. And I, I didn't know how much of the noise was contributed by the ventilation system and like the rumblings of streetcars going past on the streets and stuff like that. But turns out, I, I'd say it's about 95% because right now my noise levels are really, really low. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So there's the little experiment. Oh, by the way, my air conditioning is off, so I'll start sweating in a minute. Um, and and now on to real news. Matt, what happened? There was a conference or something like that last week, right? There was SciPy in Austin, and I can, you know, having a little bit of a hard time talking about it because I like uh, going to SciPy and didn't this year. Um, and yeah, so anyway, the, I guess the main thing is that. One of the really cool things about SciPy is they put all the videos of all the talks and all the tutorials um, and all of the sort of supporting material, GitHub repos, all the rest of it, uh, up pretty much right away. So already you can go and find dozens and dozens of videos of the talks. Um, and I absolutely recommend going and having a look through them. And if you want the kind of highlights reel, I'm going to try and do a blog post on that in the near future, like this week. But um, if you go to swung.rocks, so uh, the the sort of chat back channel for this show um, on swung.rocks. Uh, well, actually, if you go to the Python channel, I guess, in that Slack, you will find that we were chatting about a bunch of the highlights last week. There's all sorts of cool stuff in there. Um, one of my favorites, I'll just go on to say, is this new uh, sort of internet journal, peer-reviewed, called Rescience. So rescience.github.io. And uh, I love the concept. I think they've only published one paper so far. <laughs> they've got a few more in the works. And the idea is that it's stuff that it's um, basically re-implementations, reproductions of existing research. So someone publishes a paper. It's not clear how they did it, or they didn't publish their code and or data. Someone else goes, OK, I'm going to reproduce that. That paper, the second sort of derivative paper, can go into this rescience uh, journal. So yeah, love that concept. We need more of that. Very so cool. I'm looking at the site then. now. I'm sorry. Is it only geophysics then? No, no, no. It's science. Okay. Science. Yeah. But I, don't, I doubt they have any geophysics yet. Yeah. Um, I that that's such a cool idea. You know, I went to a talk. I, I did this uh, bar camp thing in New Orleans this weekend, which was a ton of fun, um, mm. and it was nice to do an unconferency totally off the wall type of thing like one of the talks i listened to was about how to win at monopoly <laughs> i thought it was going to be some sort of like clever um optimization scheme or some real techie thing and no this guy was just like i like to play monopoly i'm going to tell you my strategy to do it it was pretty cool <laughs> okay um ruthlessly I would like Matt to introduce our guest because they've known each other for a while and they're both doing awesome awesome things so Matt take it away Welcome, uh, welcome, Maitri, Maitri Irwin. Uh, I'll, um, I, won't, I won't say too much because we'll, we'll get, get into it in a, in a minute, but I was actually looking back through Twitter because Maitri is a, another person that I met on Twitter, I'm pretty sure. That's, that's kind of how we became acquaintances before we met in person. And, um, and it seems like the, the, there, is, there are some conversations from back then, but the dates are wrong, so I couldn't quite figure out when it was that we kind of... Uh, Got to know each other, but uh, it was it was years ago, at least five years ago, and um, yeah, just a sort of uh, really awesome internet. Um, what would you call it? Sort of uh, a resident of the internet. So, my true is one of these people that I always look to for like 
how, how, how to behave, what's interesting, how to use the internet for good, and uh, how to find uh, cool things to read. Loads of things in my, um, I use the old reader as a blog reader, and uh, my trees stars things and tags things, so I, it's, it's really awesome. I really like seeing things that uh, she's sort of pinned, because I know they're going to be awesome. Um, and she's all over Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, and yeah, just too many things to mention, really. All the links are in the show notes. Um, thank you for joining us, Maitri. Where are you right now? I am in Houston right now, and it's a balmy 100 degrees out, and, and we actually had a rain shower finally after weeks of no rain, so my poor plants and grass are not dying right now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Houston. Wow, it's years since I was in Houston. Um, what are you use? Are you like right downtown? Like, do you have to drive around a lot where you are? Or um, I like to maintain a very small footprint in Houston, so we we actually centrally located this place north of the. So we're right in what you would call the Greater Heights, or right outside the inner loop, the loop of Houston. Gotcha. And where where I live is central to um, getting downtown, going to the woodlands, and also to the energy corridor. So. Should right. jobs change in this wonderful economy we're in right now, you know, it's going to be um, a little less of a hellish commute rather than a fully hellish commute. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. He, he, yeah. I, I, I always find Houston just a remarkable place to be because I feel like it's the polar opposite of where I live. And um, yeah, so I hear you. You don't want to spend too much time in the car. So, um, what, like, what are you? Uh, what are you into these days? Um, work. <laughs> yeah. A lot of work. Um, again, like we were we were mentioning earlier, in our, um, I feel very fortunate to be somebody who still has a job in this um, terrible economic climate, and um, going deeper into um, exploration. So I switched from a role working as a prospect uh, maturation manager in the Gulf of Mexico to uh, very frontier exploration of Latin America, which includes uh, South America, Central America, and the Caribbean. It's all very new, very early days yet. We're still formulating a team. I mean, the company's still trying to wrap its head around um, just exploration um, in, in this very different continent that has uh, traditionally been um, ruled, I should say, by national oil companies and very few um, independent oil companies. So uh, it's an interesting transition. Uh, uh, like I always say, you know, keep keep your um, keep your opportunities open and, and your chin up. You know, you, you, I've always had this rather peculiar attitude towards uh, towards life in general, and and that's don't be afraid of the circumstances because you're if you fail, it's another growth opportunity. It's what Cecilia Rose calls AFGO, you know, another effing growth opportunity. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for my growth opportunity. <laughs> uh, so, like, one of the things I like wrote down earlier, um, it's just it, it feels to me, um, now you're, you're not as uh, long in the tooth as I am, but it feels to me like this downturn is kind of, kind of different from previous downturns. Like, this, this one feels like things... Like the world is going to be a different place when and if the industry emerges from from this thing. Do you do, do you have a, a sense like you're in a place where they're surrounded by geoscientists and 
commerce. Like, do you have a sense for that, or is it, or is everyone just kind of going, please let it get back to normal? Everyone wants it to get back to normal, but there there are two things happening, and one is, um, I think society as a whole finally wants it to be an an alternatives based um, energy uh, society. You know, they they just don't want to deal with oil and gas and the uncertainties and I think a lot of the wars that we fight abroad are um, taking their toll on on how we view our relationship with oil. And another thing also has to do with um, how we work. Uh, mm. We're not just going, we're not ever going to rebound because now the, the industry knows that it can get a lot of things done with um, fewer people. So this new, uh, there's this, this new mantra is, is do more with less. So if they can squeeze um, a lot of work, I won't say productivity, but if they can squeeze a lot of work out of fewer people, I don't think we're ever going to go back to that paradigm where you required 20 people to work a team. I think they're going to be five or six, maybe 10 at the most people working team. But I... I Go ahead. How is this downturn different than other downturns in that respect? That's because we're losing people, you know. Um, for instance, they kept they kept talking to us about this big crew change of how um, there are not many people in in the profession. Not forget the industry. There are not many people in the profession who are um, in say Matt's in my demographic. I don't know um, your age, Graham, and we don't have to discuss that on the air right now. Um, but very few people in um, late 30s, you know, early 40s, going into early 50s even. So we've lost a lot of mentors. We've lost a lot of knowledge with this downturn for sure, not just because people are retiring. It's not the regular attrition. They, they just, it's almost like they, and I hate to use this word, but deadheaded at a certain um, age. And, and there went a bulk of the knowledge. And, I, and they were not doing proper knowledge transfer and technology transfer when they had the opportunity. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, students were coming in with, um, at least in geophysics and the geosciences, you have to have at least a master's degree. So students were coming in with, uh, with masters and PhDs and they're very technologically savvy, but they just don't have that history. They don't understand how, um, this is not at least in, at least in oil and gas, it's not a uh, science lab anymore. It's not research anymore. It's a business. So there's a there's an art to it. There's a there's a certain way you go about it, and I don't think that those those skills were transferred very well. And um, people of all ages were let go, and and that's because I'll, I'll be very honest with you. At some point, they started hiring every warm body that they could get um, to do the work, and then they found out that they didn't have the time nor the inclination to train and to tr train up to a certain expectation level. Mm. And um, and so 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 I think a lot of um, young people didn't get the training they were supposed to, and now when um, they're they they look to um, the older generation, the more experienced generation, to train those young people, they um, said no, you know we we have to let we have to lay off all of these people who make a ton of money, and they're and it's easier to put them into retirement than. Um, you know, chop the job of somebody who's, you know, maybe in their um, their late 20s or early 30s because they cost a lot less. 
So I understand the economic realities. I understand that we don't have money to pay people. But I really think that um, a lot more people had uh, taken on Oxy's model where uh, Vicky Holub said, we are not um, letting go of people. Well, again, there's a trick to that. My neighbor, my next door neighbor, um, took an early retirement package from Oxy. And, um, but she did so willingly, you know, um, and they've kept on people to train the next generation. So mm -hmm. I, I really think that, I think, I really think that people were hasty this time in, in letting people go. So I think, I think to answer your question, Graham, how is it different? Um, I think we let too many people go too soon. Um, I think that the knowledge transfer was just not done. And I think that we're going to stick with this model of, of do more with less because they can do it. Hmm. Do you, I mean, um, do you think we, I suppose as individuals and also as a, um, you know, as an industry or as a s sector of the, um, of, of commerce, can we be part of how we get to the next sort of energy? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, I don't. I don't want that to be too kind of grand or open-ended a question, but I mean, I guess I wonder a bit if it's just a thing that's going to happen to us, <laughs> or uh, if we're, how we can be part of of being part of it. And I and and I wonder if a smaller, more compact workforce that doesn't have, you know, because with deep experience goes entrenched ways of doing things. I wonder if that's actually more likely to be more sort of open, more agile, if you like, and getting into that new energy than the business as usual scenario. I I definitely think it can be done, and that's what I tell young people these days: is to right. keep their options open. Like, you know, don't just go into a, a master's program in geophysics, and they go well. The only program of study that's being offered is straight up geophysics, and I said, well, then you have to take the personal initiative to take more science classes and more just programming technology, geoscience. Um, don't um, attach yourself or limit yourself to the pre the pre prescribed program of of study. You know that just because it's a major doesn't mean there are not other classes and options available to you if you want to be mm -hmm. smart about it. I do. I do worry a bit that the that the universities are going to like weirdly because they don't have the same kind of economic pressure to get on and 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 change. Right. They might be the last people actually to kind of and wake up took the words, reality. Yep, took the words right <laughs> out of my mouth for about that, about that point. But then you look at things like um, you look at Tesla, you know, and and Tesla's getting a lot more. Um, attainable by um, people with more modest incomes. I think you know Tesla is going to be a, a great model for the the true Volkswagen, you know, the real people's car in the future. And technologies, mm. well, people will find a way to meet technologies that that go in that direction. Um, sometimes you have to be pressured by major shifts. Um, there's this new company right now, um, very unfortunate name. Um, goes by the acronym DONG. It's Danish um, oil and natural gas. They just do, did a big wind offering. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, 
you know, things like that are happening. And this is this is an oil and, and gas company that suddenly decided that it was going to invest a large percentage of its uh, of its uh, budget and, and its expenditure in wind. Hmm. Um, and I think we need to be prepared for that. I think that if we if we really cling to the proverbial dinosaur, we're just um, we're, we're not going to move forward. But again, I too don't want to be too open ended about it. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure to change. Um, for instance, Houston is just highways galore um, to take care of more and more cars that are coming on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, when do we switch to a, a comprehensive, useful mass transit system down here? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Will we? Um, similarly, there's look at China. I mean, they have all the bullet trains, but they just have so many people. They have so many um, goods and and resources to that they need to move around um i don't know how quickly those kinds of superpowers with a lot of money and a lot of a uh, lot invested in uh, in an oil and gas infrastructure are, are going to change but i think you i think you're going to have to when you find out that you're it's going to get more and more expensive your break-even costs to uh, uh, extract oil and gas are going to increase and when that happens and when you can no longer um, make a considerable profit when your margins are, you know, slimming. What are you going to do? I, I think that eventually, um, the that investors, shareholders, and also the technologies themselves are going to to move us in into that into that new future. But when I don't know. So how do we uh, push students into the arena of? St- studying or becoming interested in alternative energies, um, especially coming from an industrial standpoint. Let's let's leave the academics aside here, but as industry leaders, how can we encourage students to study new avenues of science? I think it's t- in telling them that these traditional jobs are not going to exist in the future. Just look at how the world is changing right now. Um, I don't think that... Um, I mean, I'm not saying that the drilling um, superintendent or the uh, you know oil man or, or whatever is going to is going to go away very soon, but um, if you look at the landscape, you're and the ideas ideas have to come from somewhere, and the ideas are drying up. I think that's how you entice. Um, other, other than that, it's I've always said abolish the major, and I know we're not talking academics yet, but. Uh, I think it has to ha- it has to come from a personal incentive to want to set yourself apart from everyone else and and not take the easy road because where is that easy road going to take you? You can uh, just re- I was just reading an article about I'm good at science, I want to get a PhD now I don't have a job. So okay, so part of me is torn, right? Okay, everybody who I mean, I, 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 yeah. I'm, I really want to encourage science for science's sake. I want people to do PhDs in geophysics or, or chemistry or, or whatever um, um, floats your boat because, uh, I mean, that's, that's a passion. How do you take a passion out of a human being? But then what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that PhD? It's why I took myself um, out of a PhD program and went for a second master's because I just couldn't see myself in school for five years and then struggling um, to fit into an academic position, which I knew I wasn't cut out for. 
and 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 why put off the inevitable? So I pulled myself out of the PhD, uh, the PhD track early on, went for the second master's and went towards oil and gas just because I knew that I wasn't, um, I really wasn't cut out for a life of professorship. So if, if I think what we can do is really encourage um, young people to do this kind of introspection early on and say, think about reality, think about what you want your life to look like in five years and 10 years. And my God, the future comes so quickly, you know, trust me, it, it, it did. So, um, and with, and then what are you going to do to prepare yourself for that? And I think each one of you go out and talk to a young person and say, what do you think your life is going to look like in five years, 10 years and do that kind of planning? Um, yeah, you know? it's tricky, isn't it? I mean, it's, uh, there's a, a sort of funny situation here in um, in Nova Scotia at the moment with uh, sort of just thinking about technology and people at university, you know, following their passion. So there's these two, well, there's an astrophysics department and St. Mary's University. So they're churning out undergraduates, uh, you know, well, graduates, I guess, and postgrads in astrophysics, which, you know, doesn't have a great deal of kind of applied, <laughs> there isn't a big marketplace, but but these uh, these graduates are basically some of the best people around trained in uh, programming and statistics, and everyone's trying to hire machine learning kind of, um, not experts, but just anyone who's heard of machine learning and wants to do a bit more learning, can read a, can read a manual and so on. So these people are suddenly highly desirable, and um, I, I don't think they necessarily planned it like that. But I love how these, there's this really hot market for people who probably thought, "What am I going to do with an astrophysics degree?" Right. Um, so yeah, I, I love that advice about like looking around, looking at other sort of parallel markets, if you like, and tr just trying to add some diversity to your personal portfolio, kind of thing. Right, the, the, just to sort of give yourself that opportunity, right? Because you don't know where it's going to come from potentially. The reason I asked the question about advising students and and assisting in in the learning process and guiding young people is uh, specifically because Maitri is the chair of the SEG Women's Network, and it seems to me that you've got uh, a large demographic. You you have a wide influence over interested, scientifically motivated people who are potentially looking, because of the SEG aspect, at the geosciences and maybe exploration work in particulars. So what do you tell these people and and uh, how, how much uh, advising does the SEG Women's Network do um, in total? Um, interesting. I just had this conversation with Andrew Geary of the SEG, and it seems to be, you know, when it when it rains and pours when it comes to podcasts so um, um, and I, in that I said we really have a shortage of Renaissance people and again it, it goes back to what we were just talking about is make yourself a, a Renaissance person mm. um, I think sometimes when people um, look around my blog or they 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 follow me on Twitter for a certain reason and then I start tweeting about, say, football 
or suddenly it's about geophysics, or suddenly it's all about Mardi Gras, you know, or it's about um, Project Gutenberg, or the SDG Women's Network, or some conference I'm attending, um, or Indian food, you know. Um, it, it, it's, it's like, okay, I did not come here for football or Indian food, so I'm going <laughs> to you know, unfollow you, you know, because I'm a highfalutin scientist, and I want serious business here. Um, so, and to that I say, I think you need. I think you need to be interested in a lot. I think you need to just. I find. I find everything interesting, and I. I don't know if that's a personality flaw or that's. So, that's a feature, or you know, I don't know what it is, but. Um, I think it's. It. I think it helps, and and to say that I'm not interested in. I'm a geophysicist, so I. Um, don't want to get my feet dirty with uh, with camping and geology and you know looking at rocks and licking limestone and all that stuff. Um, you're doing yourself a big disservice because that's something that you don't know, you don't have in your toolkit right now. So make yourself a Renaissance person. Um, I would also say um, open yourself up to math. Mathematics is one of those mathematics programming. One, of, you know, two of those um, those key subjects where you can really go in a lot of different directions. So. Um, I think with, with math, if you understand mathematics, then, you know, you, you can do geophysics, you can do geochemistry, you can go backwards towards, you know, some other kind of um, analytical science. Uh, if you understand uh, flow dynamics, you're going to understand it for hydrogeology, you're going to understand how oil flows, you're going to understand how wind works. So, um, so if a problem comes along later that requires you really understanding the Navier-Stokes equation, um, you know, so you you win because you you understand it and you can apply it to many different things so i think being a scientist getting those fundamentals down understanding and reading a lot about physics and math chemistry biology the basics i think that's where um the new ideas come from and then pick pick up an article and read it if you think it's about rebuilding a car engine and it's dry as hell okay you know i excuse you but that it might save you someday, you know, it, it might help out. I, I just don't, I, I don't think there's ever a downside to acquiring knowledge on anything. Hmm. Um, and uh, how much advising, how, how much uh, interfacing does the SCG Women's Network do? We're trying to do people? more mentor, we're trying to do more mentoring right now. We're a central network. So the, my main objective with the SCG Women's Network right now is to branch out more uh, globally. Right now, we've, we've been around um, five years, and um, we, have this, we have this core organization. We have a core committee, as everything at SCG is committees, um, uh, in which we have set up our strategy. We have these breakfasts every year. We have networking events. We've aligned with APG and other um, uh, you know, women, um, or I should say sister scientific societies to, um, to conduct networking events. But I think um, what I'd like to do is uh, see a lot of, lot of initiatives come from students and uh, not enforce an agenda on students or on the globe. So I'd really like to reach out to the SEG student chapters and, and get um, students on board and say, okay, um, Hey, all you students, come up with an idea. What do you think is the most pressing concern um, for you right now? What are your top three pressing concerns? 
and do something about it. Hold a hold an unconference about it, you know, or do something on the web. Get a hangout together. Let's talk about how to help you. I have already reached an age where I don't know what what their problems are, so I can't be telling them what the problems are. You know, they have to come up with it themselves and look for the solutions. So, um, and the same thing goes for for uh, the global outreach component. Um, I really feel like, um, oh, did we lose somebody? That was um, So geophysicists <laughs> in uh, China are going to have a different set of issues than, than geophysicists in, say, Latin America or Houston, you know, Africa, uh, in, you know, pick a country. So, again, we are there to provide support. Uh, mentorship is going to be difficult because right now we have maybe 10 core people who are very engaged. So uh, how are you going to do a lot of this and, and, and serve a very large population of students and global members with a, with a very small core? So that's, a, that's something that we're thinking about right now is, okay, we have one person in the SDG doing support. Um, we have 10, you know, max 10 core members who are really engaged in, in activities and pushing agendas forward um, and who, who want to do so many things. So I think, I think the answer is going to come from enabling, enabling other people in other parts of the world and say, okay, now you create your, your own, you know, Australian instance of the SEG women's network. We'll provide mm -hmm. all the materials and support. Um, please engage the student chapters there. And and run your own run your own conference run your own wine hour or if you if you can't then um, try to get together um, at at your regional conference and uh, hold hold some kind of summit to talk about issues and and come up with solutions for the, you know we how how do you do all this sitting in the United States or mm -hmm. sitting in um, you know, a very a small geographic portion of the world that, that we're trying to come up with solutions for that. Sure. Decentralization power. Right. That's awesome. What right. what other things does the SEG Women's Network do? So, um, first of all, it's, it's about having a community that we are here to uh, identify and um, identify women's issues in um, in geophysics. Uh, whether it's in, you know in the office, whether it's in the field, um, what what are things that um, that are problems and also uh, uh, wins for geoscientists? You know what what have what have we been doing? What have we what have we not been doing enough of? How much can we? Um, how many more obstacles do we have to remove? And um, what are some good things that um, that people are doing um, that that you can share with other other women geoscientists, uh, and it's not it's you know I don't I want I don't want to say it's a it's a women only organization you know it's I, I say it's a it's for feminists so uh, if if you support uh, women getting you know equal pay and have and being equally represented and having equal access to um, geophysics classes or the field or you know any and, or and especially jobs and promotions mm -hmm. um, then you, you know you're automatically invited to be a, a part of our network how do, you, uh, how do we get involved how do we join up 
Um, you can, well, we're at SEG underscore WNC on Twitter. That seems to be our big um, social media outlet right now. So I think how you can, you and Matt can help is talk to your friends about it. You know, don't just talk about geophysics. Talk about um, what other things you can be doing to remove obstacles for your fellow geophysicists, be they women or, you know, uh, minorities or some other underprivileged group of people who can't have access to um, the study and um, and the profession of geophysics. What what are we doing to what are we doing to help those people come up with the ideas of the future? Um, so uh, we're at seg underscore wnc on Twitter, and we're also soliciting ideas for how to um, be more active on social media. I'm not I'm not this huge fan of chatting on LinkedIn, and Facebook just seems you know. <laughs> Um, Facebook seems so hit or miss depending on who's on Facebook. And I use Facebook for a completely different reason than anything professional. Mm. So, um, um, yeah, Facebook's all about, Hey, look at, you know, the costume I made or look at the, you know, the wine I'm drinking it, you know, the, that's what Facebook's for. <laughs> uh. <laughs> all right. So we've got a link uh, now in show notes to SEG underscore WNC. If you want to get in touch with my tree or the, um, women's SEG women's network, um, how, what are the biggest issues you guys are talking about, uh, barriers, um, to women geoscientists and in industry right now? Um, first off would be, when when budgets are cut, um, the fir the first thing to go is the is the people factor. So uh, you know we're not looking to uh, groom women into leadership. We're not looking to groom women into uh, an, other technical roles. Uh, also, when it comes time for for promotions, when it comes time for uh, uh, giving scholarships or or you know any any anything that should happen in, in academics or 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 job um, kind of situation, I think that we say oh you know we we just go back to the old um, traditional model of doing things is you know okay we're we're just going to look at the old way and then and 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 when that happens, women um, get the short end of the stick. It it's it's you know, something that's uh, that's measured, that's documented. So I think a, a big thing right now in, in this downturn is um, to keep women um, from losing their jobs disproportionately. It's to, um, you know, give them um, tips and tools for finding jobs. It's also in, uh, for, for instance, uh, the first um, SEG post-conference work, SEG Women's Network post-conference workshop is going to be held on how to, um, how to deal with bias and bullying in, in our profession and, and how, and tips and tricks to, uh, to avoid that, to identify, avoid, deal with, um, you know, put an end to bias and bullying. Um, another, another thing is, um, we, we also just, got the um, the first anti-harassment uh, policy published um, for the society as a whole. There were there's an anti-harassment, a sexual harassment and anti-harassment policy at the SEG itself, but you know that's at a kind of a corporate um, 
level, but there wasn't one at the society level. So um, each front uh, took the lead on that and with our mm. current president, John Bradford, worked very hard to get the society's, the, the society's first anti-harassment policy up. And there's a, the policy, the forms, they're all available on the SDG website right now. So you're saying there was one at the, for the SEG annual meeting specifically, but there wasn't one for the society? No, no, no. There no. was one for the SEG as in the corporation. Okay. So there was, you know, any employer has to have uh, some kind of um, anti-harassment code. And, oh, I see. Right? Uh, gotcha. And then, yeah, we did one, I think a couple years back, we got... Um, a code of conduct during the meetings, especially on the show floor, the exhibit floor, um, we got that passed. But then it came to um, several people's attention all at the same time. It was a nice confluence of um, of events where we we did not have, as a society, we don't have an anti-harassment policy. And uh, I think um, AGU made one recently. And so it's not just SEG that's having these problems. It's not just our sure. society. I think it's, you know, um, just uh, science as a whole. and mm -hmm. Professional um, societies as a whole. Yeah, yeah. science yeah, as a yeah. whole, professional societies as a whole. Um, and especially, I always say this, in the physical sciences and the geosciences, we've always um, seemed to lag in terms of, of getting these kinds of initiatives off the ground. And I've, I've always noticed that, uh, like, bio and medical seem to be at the forefront. They're the early adopters for all kinds of things like mm -hmm. technologies and, and um, you know, behavioral policies and all that. But uh, science, uh, the physical sciences and geoscience, geophysics in particular, been way in the back. And I, I, I don't know why that is. And, you know, that may be a topic of conversation for another hangout. But yeah, I, my, my perception, because, um, you know, I'll admit to being living in the kind of uh, you know white male middle class bubble I mean obviously that's that's where I live I, I have no choice but to live there and um, and you know waltzing through sort of uh, corporate life or whatever and then when I left and started hanging out more on the internet and going to things like science online and going to Wikimania and going to some of these kind of you know, conferences and events and meetings happening in these sort of other domains and just being blown away by not just the really conspicuous, um, you know, code of conduct at, for, for this meeting and, and all of that, like all of the stuff that's like, oh, wow, that, that this, this is a thing, but also going to the meeting and seeing the huge level of engagement and diversity and everything and and that being a new thing, you know, seeing, I, I mean, disabled people at a conference, I, I mean, it's crazy that that's a kind of a, a conspicuous, <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing, but I'm Absolutely. kind of horrified. And then I just read, uh, and then started going to um, things like SciPine, you know, computing, like coding conferences where you would think, you know, it's, you know, another sort of male-dominated, lots of discussion about role of minorities in there too. But I mean, there was a really interesting blog post by this geoscientist whose blog I read, who's also a coder, and he was talking about his university and their sort of diversity policies. 
the geoscience community and theirs, and the coding community, and these are his sort of three areas that he operates in, and he's saying the coding community is way out ahead of even his university. You know, he's sort of, he just got a wheelchair that was what had provoked this post. And he's like, I can't even get into the lift in my building. Like, like my wheelchair literally gets jammed in the door kind of thing. And it, anyway, it was just a very moving and kind of eye-opening, like, oh, shit, like, oh, excuse me. But, oh, oh wow, like, uh, I, I can't even comprehend how um, privileged I am. And it, I, I mean, I was just, I can't remember where it was now, but I'll try and put it in the show notes, but reading something about someone sort of saying, you know, when they look at their community, and this is in scientific coding world, there's all these participants from North America and all these participants from Europe and all these participants from, you know, Australasia in roughly in proportion to their populations and nobody at all from Asia and nobody at all from Africa and nobody at all from South America. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, well, we're just like that. Yeah, and... You can, you know, there's something to be said about intersectionality in that um, just because we're women doesn't mean that we have to only worry about women. You know, what about black women? You know, what about um, Chinese women? You know, there, like, I, it comes back to that regional aspect of it, and, and mm -hmm. we, you could be a black disabled woman, you know, and that that could be um, that that's not something that we should shy away from. Ultimately, it's about access. It's it, everyone should have access. Everyone should have um, a say. And and I, we, it, I hate saying this because I don't like to have to justify my existence in in geophysics or in the science or you know in the profession. But um, promoting um, someone like me, or because of my qualifications, but also because of the sheer fact that. I'm a woman or I've had a different set of experiences in my life. I think that diversity alone is going to open uh, open up big time doors for um, progress, you know, new ideas and mm -hmm. if we just if we just shut out whole groups of people because they're not part of our current norm, mm -hmm. that, that's also a huge hindrance to to progress. That's where the ideas are you know where are the ideas going to come from otherwise? Especially, as you say, in a time when we've lost all these sort of, um, uh, not antique, but um, traditional thinkers so with a wide knowledge base when um, innovation right. is much, even even more important than it ever has been. Um, I want to shift gears here a minute because um, Maitri has got so many awesome things going on uh, that we need to we need to talk about a couple other of them before we run out of time. Um, the, the another big one is Gutenberg. Um, Matt, tell us about Gutenberg. <laughs> I, I, I'm really I'm really not qualified, but I'm just <laughs> I, I, I am interested in publishing and I'm interested in openness and obviously Gutenberg is this giant online open library. Um, yeah, I mean, how, how did you get involved in it, Maitri? And what what are, are you still involved in it? Um, and what's the um, like? What's the future for for things like Gutenberg when you know it seems like everything's on the internet? <laughs> well, everything is not actually on the internet. <laughs> that's and that's the problem. So. Um, I got involved with Gutenberg back in 92 when I was still in high school and I met uh, Michael Hart, who is the founder 
uh, of Project Gutenberg, um, uh, who was the founder of Project Gutenberg. Sadly, he passed away in 2011. Um, he, he, he's, he was just a very, he's a daring fireball, you know, just that he's a big ball of energy. Just again, kind of like me, had many, many interests. And um, it was just appalling to him that um, people didn't couldn't have access to books that were in the public domain. And that libraries had um, hordes of books that, that anybody could access, but people couldn't actually access them. And then you have this, um, this thing called the internet that was that was forming and there was a huge backbone going through the Midwest at the time and he was a, a young student at the University of Illinois. So he just started taking books from um, the libraries and the stacks and whatever was in the public domain. He started typing them in to um, this, you know, this server, he, this big server that was your, that, that was this room, you know, <laughs> like sitting inside the server closet or the server room and writing whole books um, and, wow. you know, creating libraries and mirroring them all over the world. And then people got really interested in like, this is a great idea, like making ebooks. So he invented the ebook. Uh -huh. And there were a bunch of us um, from uh, University High School in, um, uh, which was, a, which is uh, a laboratory high school attached to the University of Illinois, who would go over to the digital computing lab, we'd sit around and, uh, Learn programming, uh, play games, um, and that's when the next machines were were popular. So we had, you know, the little machines with the penguins on them. So uh, learning how to program those machines, uh, and uh, he hung out there, and I, I just got involved in this group of thinkers who uh, really believed in all the things that we're talking about. You know, fairness, equality, access, uh, doing reproducible science. Uh, you know, do, doing great things, making new ideas. Hmm. Um, so uh, he said, hmm. you know, would you like to be a, a part of Gutenberg? And I said, you know, I what do I do? And so I digitized a few books. And I'm more, I've not actually been, <clears throat> I've not been a digital publisher for Gutenberg. I very fiercely believe in in Michael's philosophy. And I like to do things like fight against copyright and keep the, the Gutenberg flame alive. So I became an advisor to Project Gutenberg because Michael trusted me with um, carrying that vision. And um, I'm on the board, but more importantly, um, I hold a part of the trademark, you know, so that ultimately the, the goal is that I don't want Project Gutenberg to be sold to um, a corporation hmm. and that, that it should be a, a completely, a, a truly um, uh, not-for-profit public entity that anyone should be able to start their own instance of Gutenberg. Like you in New Orleans, you know, um, Matt up in Canada, start your own instance of Gutenberg, host books, put books in the public domain. Um, and, and again, it's, it's like creating, creating more instances of the SCG Women's Network and seeing what other people do with it and how they run with it. The same thing with, with Project Gutenberg. Um, it's it's really about democracy and access and equality and and having and, and not and making sure that our knowledge is not 
locked up in a safe somewhere and and given you know and that access is is given to a very small few who pay a lot to get that and right. it's really ridiculous because look at disney look at how much they took from the public domain and made into copyrighted material and now if i as much as fly um a Disney flag outside my house and have a lemonade stand under it. I'm pretty sure that the Disney lawyers are going to swoop down and ask for 50% of the profits from that lemonade stand. No, it's, it's that draconian, you know, it's that, it's that ridiculous. And these are the kinds of companies that, that, you know, and, and our traditional publishing houses, I don't have to name them, but um, you know who they are. It, that they take, they take, research that was funded for funded by the taxpayer and um then they make it into copyrighted papers that uh the public cannot access so um i've been having some health issues recently that i'd really love to learn more about and actually read some of these papers and figure out what's what's going on but i don't have access to those journal of american medical association papers because i don't have a subscription Mm. but i paid for but my, you know, American taxpayer money paid for those studies, um, and and you know, done in universities that are also paid for by the taxpayer. So it, I think it's just ridiculous that um, copyright rules in this day and age when there's so much information on the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm really conflicted because I know how much of a nightmare publishing is. Like it is not trivial to take other people's work and make it into something that other people want to read. Like it really isn't. And and so I kind of, um, I guess I understand why things cost some money. I do think that $35 for an article, um, for example, which is a common price on sort of Elsevier, um, is, is crazy. Um, you know, so I mean, there's a clear kind of disparity or just miss, but they just buggered up the pricing model. But um, but I also and I also feel a bit like I'm not I'm not sure I know how to articulate this properly, but as a kind of champion of open licenses and open source and open access, I do feel like undermining the licensing system around copyright sort of undermines open access. Hmm. But in, in other words, so if you take something like Sci-Hub, which is this this th- this thing where basically you can download anything uh, and any scientific paper um, illegally, you know, like against the terms of uh, the, the copyright agreements and so on. Um, I do feel like, well, if anything is open, then what's the point in open source? Do you know what I mean? What's the point in open access? It sort of makes open access not matter. And I, and I actually feel like the best response to that is don't cite or have anything to do with stuff that isn't openly licensed and go to the openly licensed stuff. But of course, things like medicals, well, any research, I mean, that shuts out, especially right now because we're just coming off the back of, like, the proprietary scientific publishing era that locks out a huge amount of very interesting research. Anyway, so I sort of hijacked that to make a point that wasn't what you were talking about at all. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff, I think, around 
I love that kind of, in principle, I like the subversive nature of, let's put all of literature and all of publishing on the internet where it belongs. But I also kind of sympathize with commercial publishing because I is one kind of thing. Um, yeah, I just, so I mean, is is Project Gutenberg sort of still alive and well, and it's still digitizing stuff, and it's absolutely, yep. yeah, still putting a lot of books online. Gutenberg.org. Um, Are they scanning so things now, presumably? And yeah, like OCR, OCR. A lot of um, uh, books being destroyed <laughs> in scanners for optical oh. character recognition. But if it's a very, uh, it's a if it's a rare book, you know. You, you do it the right way and scan it page by page. But yeah, there's okay. a there's a whole um, group called um, distributed proofreaders that um, where you can sign up to proofread scanned books. Cool. Um, and that's so there's Project Gutenberg Literary Archive Foundation, and then there's uh, those of us on the board who do the running of it, and then there's the distributed proofreaders who. Like I said, um, go through all the books and make sure that uh, they're fit for public consumption. But to get back to your point, um, I, if I write something, yeah, I want to make some money off of it. But I don't think that my grandkids and some <laughs> publisher who had nothing to do with me yeah. writing that book yeah. need to continue to reap profits decades after my death. Mm, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, same thing with the programs. Like, great, you make money off of your program, fine. You know, that's how commerce is supposed to work. Um, the person who helped you publish it, yeah, they make some money. Your your kids get a little bit. That's great. No, no problem with that. But if you look at the percentages and you look at the numbers, it's um, the money that the artist or the programmer or writer ultimately ends up making is pennies on the tens of dollars and hundreds of dollars that the publishing companies are making um, and uh, and for, and for for years and decades now so that that's that's where that's where project gutenberg's um, stance is it's not about free everything you know and today um, it's it's about being more democratic being uh, more useful to society hmm. about it. Is, is, is there a relationship between Google Books and Gutenberg? Do they collaborate in any way, or are they totally separate projects? So Google Books can publish Project Gutenberg books. Um, so there are Project Gutenberg books on Google Books. Um, we don't do any publishing for Google Books. All books that we publish are directly for Project Gutenberg alone. Um, uh, but there's a there's a huge header page that says you know this is a there's a Gutenberg trademark in on it in that the integrity of the book itself is maintained by Project Gutenberg. So right. if if you reproduce it on Google Books, we ask that you you can reproduce it anywhere you want. All we ask is that you keep the header that this was a book created by this was an ebook created by Project Gutenberg on it and. Um, so that you know, it, it, someone comes along and decides that they're going to, uh, you know, write anagrams of, of uh, William Shakespeare sonnets or something. That that was not something that we put out there. That was you know, that's a new work. So um, other than that, there there are no restrictions on on how to use Project Gutenberg books really. Yeah. 
Well, it's a cool site. It's a great idea. Um, I urge our listeners to go check it out again. There's a link to that in our show notes page, which will be um, linked in our forum, which is swung.rocks. Um, so come check us out. There's a lot of good open source ideas on the forum itself related to, but not all about geosciences in particular. Um, and follow us on Twitter. Go see Maitri on Twitter. There's, there's tons of information out there. Um, Maitri, thanks for coming on the show today. We've, we've covered so much stuff. Um, I, it, I, just, I hope everybody that's listening will go follow up with these links because there's so much more to learn. Let's do this again. It was a lot of fun. It was. We, need to, we have a lot more topics to talk about, too. So. I, you know, we, did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we didn't even cover, I think, a quarter of our notes. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you for coming on the show again. It was great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Marjorie. See you, soon. See you guys next week. Bye-bye.